0: Yes, yes. Welcome in to the Tim McKernan Show from the com studios. I am your host, Timothy Michael McKernan, the HomeLoanExpert.com studios, my basement. More and more and more. Am I getting comfortable in this basement? Why don't you get comfortable in the basement as well as I've done uh, the YouTube, the Twitter, the Facebook shows, and, uh, and now questions from the audience once again from my basement. I just put, uh, well, Adam Reed has put our son down for a nap, but I... Uh, I actually am now in parenting mode where uh, he, he he throws these uh, these tantrums. Oh, I don't want to say he throws tantrums. He gets frustrated in a split second. Then he'll like fire a shot with like slapping whoever is nearby. And so I've attempted to have uh, good one on one discussions um, to try and convey how that is. That's not the way to handle situations. And uh, did that for a few days last week. This week, we are now in the mode of okay, you do that, then we, uh, then I put you up in, in your crib and, uh, and try to convey the penalty thing. So, this is my own thing. This is Anna Marie's own thing. This is our own thing. Um, and so, I got him out of the crib moments ago, played with him for a little, explained to him that that's the way it's going to go. Anytime he, he doesn't hit me, but he hits Anna Marie, he'll hit her parents. Um, he, we were at this Kirkwood Halloween thing in downtown Kirkwood last week. There was some giant pumpkin right by the railroad tracks, and he just like uh, slapped a kid. And I'm like, okay, this guy, we got we got a problem here. Uh, so I, I gotta I gotta I gotta lay down the law. Um, so that's that's what I was doing. Then Adam Reedus put him in for his nap, and so now after my um, my uh, my slapping discipline session, I have uh, I have gone to uh, the basement. Where I will field your queries and uh, ideally satisfy whatever questions you may have. Got a bunch saved up from last week in email, and uh, you are always welcome to send them anytime. I've in, I maybe you know what I, I've encouraged questions. I don't know if I want to say I've encouraged risque questions, but I've just I've ask anything. And I guess, I don't know, maybe people, I mean, especially for all all the years of me getting emails like hate mail from burner accounts, I don't know if burner accounts have gone away or people are just kind of like, yeah, I don't really want to ask anything risque. This is what I, this is what I really want to ask about. I thought once I said, ask whatever, I would get whatever. Um, and I've gotten some, but just not as much as I've thought. So that's fine. I love doing this. I'm thrilled to see how many people listen to it um candidly as i said last week when we got the numbers surprised but it's the good kind of surprised but either way um the questions are about damn near anything like the ones let's see how many i have an email one two three four five six uh and then i know i have some on the tma fan page so you can email and ask anything but i thought i'm like okay for you creeps out there who just want to like ask creepy questions feel free and we've gotten a few we've gotten some good anecdotes. But nothing like where I'm going, ah. not now I'm going to say nothing, but rarely have I gotten that. So again, I'll encourage it. But if people just want to ask whatever that, that, that isn't creepy, I'm more than happy to. So let me see what we got here. Oh, yeah, this was sent before last week's QFDA, but I saved it um, and didn't answer it on last week's. Tim, this is more of an opportunity to vent than it is a question. But here it goes. A couple buddies and I went to game three of the NLDS. Uh, Wainwright gem and Carlos Martinez blown save we had great seats uh, directly above the press box front row right next to the stairs we chose this location intentionally as we like to partake in a few cold ones and like the ability to make a quick run to the beer stand or bathroom between innings without missing anything and more specifically we like to be able to leave the row without walking in front of anyone's view Wainwright had been dealing and we were cheering with every strike and standing up, giving high fives and waving our stadium issued red towels. A few people around us were doing the same. Flash forward to the bottom of the eighth inning. The Cardinals are winning one nothing at this point, and we stand up to cheer, hoping to extend our lead. We hear some grumbling a few rows behind us to sit down, but we didn't really think anything of it since the pitcher was still throwing warm ups. Then we get a runner on base, I think Carpenter, who was replaced by Bader. And we go nuts, screaming and hollering to get some energy in the stadium. Then we hear an audible shout from above. Sit down until something actually happens. What was happening was the first playoff game in Bush for quite some time. We felt the moment deserved excitement. Then Edmund gets on base and we stand and cheer again. Sit down so we can all enjoy it. I'm kind of in my reading to Jameson mode here where I start playing characters. Uh, This time, the usher heard it and told us we needed to sit down. The best part of it was that the scoreboards around Bush all are flashing a graphic throughout the half inning that read, get up and get loud. Needless to say, my buddies and I were pissed, especially considering the outcome of the game. I hadn't experienced fan behavior like that since I got free, quote, good seats to a Rams game in the Dome and was told to sit down on a third and long. Am I out of line for being annoyed by this? I get fan envy when I see Yankees fans, for example, giving opposing outfielders hell together, or when I see the pony show at Wrigley's Bleachers. Is it just BFib fatigue? Thanks, Tim. That's from the Mound City Mud Trumpet. Love this question. Love this discussion. And. I have to say that it's something that I was talking about during the 2006 playoff run, and it irritated people at the time, and here we are 13 years later. Um, And then I was in my 20s, and now I'm in my 40s, and my perspective remains the same. I think for whatever reason, and I don't know what this is about, because I think it's a micro issue that you can apply to a St. Louis issue. I could be wrong on this. This is one hundred percent my own thesis on this, but it is essentially basically the old people run the place that's that's the headline is the old people run the place that's that's the headline. Um, and so you have these situations where if you stand up at a game and I had this happen, Um, during the Stanley Cup playoffs. I had this happen when I went to, I guess we went to a couple of playoff games. There wasn't a whole lot to stand and cheer about during the game two of the national series that I attended, but we were also at game four, great game, favorite game I've been to in a while, uh, against the Braves, the Yadier Molina game. Um, And tell me if I'm wrong on this. And I, and I, I I don't assume that everyone listening to this is like in their 20s and 30s and 40s, But I think the majority of the people listening to this are in in my age range or younger. And this goes back to how I thought in 2006, and I still think this in 2019. When you stand up to cheer, especially at a Cardinal game, but also to an extent at a Blues game, but I think more so at a Cardinal game, when you stand up to cheer at a St. Louis sporting event, in the back of your mind, if everybody else is not cheering, you are waiting to hear what the Mound City Mud Trumpet and his friends heard, sit down. And so it creates this fear of standing up and getting into it. um, Because it's kind of an embarrassing spot if you're standing up and you have somebody screaming at you, because what do you do? Do you continue to stand and now you got a confrontation even though you're not doing anything wrong? Or do you then turn around and say something, or do you sit down? You're just in a no-win spot. It's a zero upside play, and so it's this weird thing where it's kind of like follow the leader. Oh, it's safe to stand. Okay, good. We'll stand. And meanwhile, like I've been watching the World Series, and God, and, and I mean, and on top of it, as I'm recording this, not one home team has won one game, and you have. It seems like every damn inning, you know, they're showing a side angle on the third base or first base line, and all the fans are standing. And it's just, you know, this is a topic Doug and I, one of many topics philosophically that Doug and I will disagree on. Uh, Doug Vaughn, my co-host on the Ryan Kelly Morning After, along with Jimmy the Cat Hayes. And he's just like, no, there's a lot of people who can't stand or too tired to stand or whatever the case might be. And it's just like, but you're, but the re, especially in 2019, but I still would have said this in 2006 the reason you pay a premium to go to games is for, at least for, I'll speak for myself. I think this, I'm speaking for others as well, is for the atmosphere, for the energy, for the excitement. Otherwise, why not just stay at home? And if you are chastised for getting into the game, uh, then then I think it, it, it lessens people's interest in going to games. Now, I think I've told this story before, um, and it might have been recently, actually, but I don't know. I mean, I, this, this podcast is is ADD theater, so if you've heard it before, skip ahead. Fortunately, there's an option for you. But when we went to Game 6 of the Stanley Cup Finals against the uh, the, the Bruins... You know, thinking that it was uh, inevitable that the Blues were going to win the Cup that night, there was a gentleman in front of me who said something while like pregame stuff was going on and saying, "Hey, I stand up a lot." I'm like, "Hey, man, I want I want you to know." And this was guy was right in front of me, and we're we I I I really this is results oriented, but one of the worst spends I've ever made in my life. Now, of course, if the Blues win, it's one of the greatest spends I've ever made in my life. But it was an aggressive spend, but I wanted to be right down there and we were right behind uh, Bennington for the first and third period and Rask for the second period and maybe maybe, maybe whatever no point in getting any of the rows because then it'll lead to anger by talking about the rows but it was they were good seats um, obviously not front row seats since we had somebody in front of us but they were good seats and my thought process was the blues were going to win the game in the um, in overtime And I'd be right there as the puck goes into the net and the Blues win their first ever cup. That was the thought process to be on that end. I mean, I really went deep on this end, of course, completely failed. I digress. Um, So I I encourage this guy to stand. I I never want him to have to think twice about me complaining about it because my thought was he's going to stand at the quote-unquote reasonable moments to stand, albeit the moments where not everybody else is standing, as it played out throughout the course of the first period and maybe the second period, first off, he was absolutely destroyed. I haven't seen somebody this drunk at a game. I guess I don't go to many games, but this, this guy was destroyed to the point that he couldn't move in the third period. He wasn't passed out, but he couldn't move. Um, but I mean, he was standing up every few seconds and it was, it was really brutal. Um, but it was it wasn't it was it wasn't like at big moments it was just it was just like it was like almost like spontaneous, and it was driving people up the wall. Now this is an extreme example, and and it drove me up the wall. But if it were like moments where the Blues have you know pressure in the Bruins zone and they're you know there's a power player, whatever the case might be and there's or bidding to makes a six save whatever different deal this was this was unlike anything i had seen and i'm like wow i but i gave him you know i gave him the green light so i guess you know kind of on me um but it drove people around us up the wall and then then some guys behind me started yelling at him uh and then he started yelling back and now we're in the middle and i'm like oh crap here we go plus people are pissed that the blues are losing it's a whole thing so that's the extreme example. In general, I want people to feel comfortable standing up at sporting events. And I think that that's the case at most sporting events around the country. But here, in particular at Cardinal Games, it's like, oh, you just got yelled at by the... And, and who is the person? It's, the per- it's an older person. And I just am surprised by that. That, 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 that. that like exists. That like we yield to that as opposed to the other way around. I don't know. And so it creates an atmosphere. I'm telling you, man. I don't know why people in attendance at Bush Stadium. Actually, I'm not talking about the announced attendance. I'm talking about the people actually in attendance at Bush Stadium was down this year. I don't have an answer to that. I know there are a variety of theories, and all of them may contribute. But I know when I'm watching games on television, I'm in awe of how just boring it looks at Bush Stadium, not all the time, but God, a lot of the times. Now, it certainly was not that way. Uh, I was not at Game 3 of the Brave Series. I was at Game 4 of the Brave Series, which was incredible atmosphere, and Game 2 of the National Series. And I think a lot of people, after the Anibal Sanchez Game 1 and then seeing Scherzer out there in Game 2, knew that the Cardinals were in deep trouble. Uh, and I think there was some hesitation there. But if there would have been any, reason I they got no hit for like the first six innings, back-to-back days. so There wasn't a whole lot to cheer about. Um, but with that said, there's just, even when you're standing up then, you're still kind of like, Oh, am I going to yell that? And it's just, it's not something you want to deal with. And you you don't want to turn around and yell at the person. Uh, you know, so you're in a weird spot. So you kind of watch people stand up and then look around. Is it okay? So it's kind of like, like a wave as opposed to people standing up, getting fired up and then staying standing. It's a weird deal. Um, and I've been lucky enough. So I always say anytime one of these topics comes up because It's not like I'm Marlins man with millions of dollars to do it just when I was doing television and to an extent with radio to have been to, you know a large number of baseball stadiums, uh, NFL stadiums, some college football, definitely not a bunch, and some you know NHL arenas. And uh, I feel like St. Louis has this tepid thing with standing up and I think it's unfortunate that both at Rams games and, at Busch Stadium that people are worried that they're going to get yelled at. I think one of my, my favorite, like, perfect examples of this, granted it's not standing up, is David Freeze hits one of the most famous home runs in the history of baseball, arguably the most famous home run in Cardinal history, and a gentleman in his excitement runs out on that grassy backdrop in center field to get the ball all while an usher is chasing him. It's, like, perfect. It's, like, it's like the perfect poster. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, listen... And, and people fault the ushers well the ushers aren't the ushers aren't like some separate faction they're following their orders you know if, if the if the organization said hey don't do this the organ you know they wouldn't do it so people blame the ushers because they're the messengers but um, you know with that all said i want people to enjoy it and i just it's like you, you go to i mean god where would you rather go to a game if you've been to both and we're being really and i guess it depends on what you're looking for but if it were just me and Anna Marie, let me put it this way if we're just me and my wife, and we have a choice of going to a game in Chicago or going to a game at Bush Stadium, I'm talking about Wrigley Field, by the way. Not interested in watching the White Sox in that atmosphere. It's Wrigley Field. It's an atmosphere. It's not just the game. That's what I like. But that's why I went to the playoff games, because I wanted that excitement, that energy. And I got it. I got it with game. Uh, Four against the Braves. It was incredible. It was phenomenal. I was on such a high after that um, and, uh, and got the absolute opposite with game two against the Nationals. So it's unfortunate to hear that. I wonder what's going on with it, um, but it's not surprising, unfortunately. All right, next question. Hey, Tim. On TMA, it is mentioned from time to time how various sports leagues have changed over the years. In your opinion, which of the major sports leagues... NCAA football, NCAA basketball, Major League Baseball, NFL, NHL, NBA has changed the least and remains most similar to what you remember growing up. Uh, let's see. What has changed the least and remains most similar? Uh, college football has uh, changed substantially, and I personally love it. I uh, haven't really enjoyed this year's, though, and I'm not sure what that's about. I don't know what that's about. I kind of want to do a deep dive into that. If anybody has any theories, feel free to email. I don't know if it's because people are just kind of like, yeah, we already, we've already we seen this playoff thing now. We kind of know that it's going to be one of like, you know, four of 10 teams. And um, But I don't know if that's necessarily the case, but that's that's the perception. Like at the end of the year, it's like the big-time analysts will all play the role of attorney for the blue blood to justify their entry into the playoff over XYZ you know, new money team, so to speak, you know, Georgia lost to South Carolina, but look what they did here, here, here and here, and we'll find a way to get them in or something like that. Um, but with that said, I love college football. And even when Missouri's not playing, I'm into it. So uh, that, that has changed substantially. NCAA basketball, I barely even watch anymore. And I don't know. I don't, the, the one and done thing has destroyed it for me. Um I hate it. I don't know if we'll see it change uh, back or in a different way to make. But I'm just I I, cause I don't know who else on the team. I don't know if I could name three people on Missouri's basketball team, but I could like rattle off the starting lineup from the 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 team that went to the Elite Eight in 2002, uh, or hell, the team that went to the Elite Eight in 1994. So it's it's just that one's. that I'm not even interested in it anymore. Um, major league baseball is in play to me uh is the answer nfl is not in play although i think some of that comes with being uh biased on st louis and the way that all went down uh but also God, watching games with the um I just feel like it's like every play there's replay or there's a holding penalty or there's some kind of penalty and it's just like stop, start, stop, start. And one of the thrills for fans is, you know, my team just scored a touchdown and then all of a sudden you see the little flag pull up on the the score and you go, oh, my God, what happened here? You know, and it just kills it. Um, NHL? uh, I think NHL and Major League Baseball are in play and NBA – I like the NBA. I don't know why it's like, quote-unquote, cool. It's not necessarily my kind of people who who say it uh, because I think there's more to it than I hate the NBA uh, when you see that going around like in St. Louis because it's like, oh, it's the biggest game in the world, but okay, you know, I guess it'll be cool to, you know, make veiled racial references, um, but whatever. Not my bag, so, you know, whatever. But with that said, um, you have, you know, people who were super young and then they get bounced out of the league within two or three years in the NBA. Uh, but in fairness, you know, I was a I was a Lakers fan in the 80s and loved watching the Bulls in the 90s. Um, so it's not like I was a fan of, you know, take your pick of whatever butt ass team there was in the 80s or 90s. I mean, I was watching the big time teams. So um, with that all laid out, God, I don't know which which league has changed the least. I don't know. For, for me, out of the six you listed, I would say baseball or hockey, and Major League Baseball or the NHL. Would, and some of you might be listening, so you've got to be kidding me. But then, yeah, you know what? I think I'm going to go NHL. And then maybe some of you are going to go, you got to be kidding me on that. I don't know. I mean, because you're not going to see, like, Brett Hull do what he did, uh, you know, when he came to St. Louis anymore. You're not going to see those kinds of offensive statistics. But with baseball, but was it because I was in St. Louis? But, like, the style of game, like, it's unheard of now to see what what I grew up on in 82, but more 85, 87, 89 even, with the small ball stuff. Um, but that was the product of the ballpark and the turf and the, and the roster. But the roster was constructed for it. So it's chicken and egg. So I'll go NHL. I wonder where people are on that. Um. Yeah, I, I'm – I don't know. I want to have a better thought, pro- but I think it's NHL. Um. And maybe that's why people love it. Those who love it, love it, and want more people to love it. And I would I would love to see that happen. Uh, all right. Now, this one was sent in before the Kentucky game. Ryan Kelly's the Home Loan Expert, and he is the sponsor of our studios here on The Tim McKernan Show. Without him, we don't have a podcast. So make sure you're supporting our sponsor, Ryan Kelly, the Home Loan And with interest rates dropping and this being home buying season, this is a prime time to get in and get yourself a great rate and lock in. Or if you want to refinance, now's the time to do so. Ryan Kelly's the person to do it with. He is online at thehomeloanexpert.com. Ryan Kelly, the studio sponsor of this program. Ryan Kelly, Um, And it's about Barry Odom, which I wanted to get to last week, and then I just wound up. I don't think I got to it. And, and so I, fortunately, I guess, if you want to call it fortunately, I posted about this. And I talked about it on TMA in advance of the Kentucky game. Um, and it's always tough on TMA because you have five people talking to really be able to to get your point. It's like, it's like a debate almost. And uh, that you feel like you're taking too much time or somebody's going to jump in and you don't get to finish a point that you want to be a little more detailed. But... In the 15 years of hosting the radio show and now nearly 20 years of being in the market, um, the perceived untouchable nature of Barry Odom's job status going into the Kentucky game is one of the most confusing Perspectives I can recall in my 20 years in the market. And of course, the 20 years in the market are then 23 additional years of living here, minus my, my time at, at the University of Missouri and my nine months for my first TV job in Little Rock, Arkansas. I And I realize it's, you know, it, it, what else would I put on there? The way that um, some media people treated other media people for talking about the possibility of the Rams leaving. Uh, that is absolutely up there, and, and, and certainly way more important in our region's history than uh, Barry Odom's job status. Uh, the Sam Bradford Civil War that went on for a few years, uh, where no, he's good. No, he's bad. No, he's good. No, he's bad. And then I would, I would, um, I would focus on those. I don't know if I had a good grasp on. The La because, I mean, now it's kind of a weird thing to look back on, but Tony La Russa was really not accepted here by a healthy portion of the fan base until he won the pennant in 2004. I think that's what did it. Even though he had a team that went away from the World Series in 96, a division winner in 2000, a great team that nearly beat the eventual world champions but lost in Game 5 of a five-game series in 2001 – a team that lost its leader or the pitching staff in 2002, Daryl Kyle, Um, a team that won more games than the eventual world champions in 2006 during the regular season in 2003 Cardinals, and then the 2004 Cardinals. So so he had a great deal of success, but was not accepted here. So with that said, that I would kind of put on, on the periphery, but if you're asking me for the hashtag Mount Rushmore of confusing stories or perspectives, that would be, those would be my four and on the first three, the Odom, the Bradford, and the Rams moving thing, there's a there's a there's a constant there. There's a thread, and that is hope. Denial, really, but we'll call it hope. Denial that Sam Bradford isn't what he looks to be, which is a a a bust, a, a below average NFL quarterback who the Rams took number one and who they're now tied to for a number of years. And for those of us who were going, we might have a problem with this team staying, the fact that he was no good was going to lead to bigger issues because now you're going to have an attendance issue. And then that that was 2010 and 11. And then all of a sudden you have Cronkies press conference in 2012, and now you're going, oh, my God, now we really got a situation here. Um, The day of the Jeff Fisher press conference. So that was odd to me because I'm thinking to myself, what about this guy is making people say he is a franchise quarterback? I, I didn't see it. I know he won the Offensive Rookie of the Year in 2010. That was odd. Um, the chastising people for talking about the Rams moving, very odd. I, I don't know. Boy, I'll tell you, um, that's 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 something. That's. But I mean, but but I mean, we were hosting our show and we were getting killed in the text inbox and sometimes the, the phone lines because. We'd talk about on a Monday after a Rams game, win or lose. Obviously, losing was more often than winning. And be like, yeah, I mean, we can talk about what happened in the third quarter, but fuck, they're going to be gone, you know, or there's a good chance that they're going to be gone. And so we focused more on the relocation as opposed to the football because that was the story. But we had some people going, like, that's not the story. They're not moving. I'm like, okay. And then we would have Ray Hartman on, who was ahead of it from the beginning, more so than anybody. And people were like, why are you having this liberal on? And be like, okay, we're not talking about this. In politics here he's making an observation based on these facts and then as it turned out he happened to be right and then by the way as so happened a lot of people who were upset that we had a liberal on which was whatever uh would listen to him and go yeah i don't really know his politics but i think he's making a lot of sense he might be right here and as it of course turned out he was right so then you add in the barry odom thing and to because it's, it's a weird deal Because I am a Missouri fan, a big Missouri fan, but Missouri fans kind of cannibalize each other at times. Um, There's almost like a caste system of Missouri fans that Missouri fans themselves have created. Like if you don't donate to the Tiger Scholarship Fund, you can't criticize. If you don't go to the games, you can't criticize. Um, If you don't accept Missouri for what it is, you can't criticize and i just i just just completely disagree with it because i do think there are some similarities between missouri fans and blues fans before the blues won the cup you have each being kind of this tortured not kind of big time tortured fan bases i think if you would have had like a top 10 tortured fan bases before june of 2019 and including the six sports that we were discussing earlier um the Blues and Missouri fans would have to be in there for real have to be in there now the Blues have their their championship with the the Stanley Cup win in June but for Missouri fans it's a weird deal and I just I reject the premise that well we are what we are now that premise may be right it may be right but I feel like it's it almost excuses mediocrity and I'll be honest with you I I would have been in that camp before 2007 um maybe even maybe 1998 opened my eyes but if I start getting in 1998 Missouri football uh be, I'm, I'm going to you know, lose people because people are like, what in the hell are you talking about? The 1998 Missouri Tigers, I'm going to pull up the schedule here because it's it's something else. Um, and it will also make you long for the days of uh, scheduling that's a hell of a lot different than it is now. Just wait till you enjoy the 2020 Missouri Tiger home schedule. Uh, now, they had their butt-ass game to start. Uh, well, a couple of them for that matter. But uh, Bowling Green. Beat the hell out of them, thirty-seven nothing. I remember being at that one. I think big day for Kent Lehman of Kirkwood. Uh, then they played Kirkwood, or <laughs> they played Kansas, and Devin West like ran for like a thousand yards in that game. And that was the first time I ever anchored a sportscast. you that night, uh, September twelfth of nineteen ninety-eight. And then they were at, Ohio, and then they beat, then they were number twenty-five. Then they were number nineteen in the country, and they're at number one Ohio State, and they were actually leading number one Ohio State that that year at halftime. Uh, Had a butt-ass game as number 25 team in the country and beat uh, Northwestern State. I don't even know what the hell that is anymore. Do they exist? Is that a new school? Click on it. It is, but it is now something there. I guess they're still around. Huh, hadn't heard about them in a while. So they beat them. Then they were at Iowa State, won that. Uh, Then they were at home against Oklahoma. Oklahoma was not what Oklahoma is now for that time period. They win. Then they're at number seven, Nebraska. They're number 19 in the country. And they were leading that at halftime. Then they're at Texas Tech. And they actually moved up in the poll after losing to Nebraska. Uh, and they won that one. They are uh, at home against Colorado. They win that one. I think they're bowl eligible at that point, which was just kind of like something that was unheard of for how often that would happen. So Missouri has two losses at that point, at number one and at number seven. But they're leading every single game at halftime. At number six, Texas A&M. A big game. And they're at number six. Missouri's number 13 in the country. At number six, Texas A&M. And if I'm not mistaken, Randy Potter fumbled a punt and Missouri lost 17-14. And then the game that was like the game, um, Kansas State, who I thought was number one. And they might have been number one in the BCS. I don't know what rankings I have up here. I'm looking at Wikipedia. Oh, and the atmosphere there for that thing was, was comparable to the year before against Nebraska. They had 68,174 people there. And uh, they were leading K-State um, at halftime. They were leading all these teams. I mean, I'm rattling off top tens all at halftime. And, and three of them are on the road at Ohio State, at Nebraska, at a all of them top ten. And then they play Mark Bolger and um, Amos Zeroway, Jerry Porter, Who else? There were a bunch of guys in that West Virginia team. And they beat them in the Insight.com Bowl. That was eye-opening. The problem was, in 1999, they immediately go back to being terrible and, I mean, real bad. And you're like, oh, so 1998 was the exception. Now we're back to what we had become accustomed to throughout the 80s and the 1990s. I mean, they were really bad. They were four and seven. And then it... So then you don't really start... Getting into this, like, this can happen here. And by it can't happen, I'm talking about championships. Because we always would hear it's like this sleeping giant. But then nothing would really happen. Well, they beat Nebraska in 2003. But I loved in 2000, I think it was 2001. Let me see, since I have these schedules pulled up, we'll see. So, Pinkle, yeah, it had to be 2001 because they were at Texas. And they lost 35-16 to 16 to Texas. Number 7, Texas. In two thousand one. And Gary Pinkle um, is asked something along the lines about a moral victory about keeping it close. And he kind of loses it. Well, we're not going for moral victories around here. What you know, that's not that's not what we are. And I loved it. And he had it's not like he had a lot of traction to be popping off about that, but that's where he was. And that's the bar. And I feel like over the last couple of years. When given an opportunity to give an excuse, it's a turnaround. Barry Odom following the Auburn massacre a couple of years ago. Or, uh, or you know, the win totals. Barry Odom will start talking about, you know, like I'm looking at this Missouri team and they went 4-7. and seven. You know what stands out about that? Not the 4-7. and seven, The fact that they played 11 games. And only two of those 11 games were against things called Bowling Green and Southwest Texas State. The rest were Big 12 opponents and a trip to Michigan State, so yeah, it was a hell of a lot tougher to get your six wins to go to bowls. We go to bowls around here. We go to bowls around here because you win four games in September, ideally, unless you have a trip to Laramie on the docket, you know. So on the docket. So that that's why I, I I I so my official position on Barry Odom is I still want it to work out because. If he can get it to work out, unlike what most likely would be the background of the next Missouri coach, not a big name, but an up-and-coming either coordinator at a big school or uh, an up-and-coming coach at a non-Power 5 school, whenever, if they do get it going in Columbia, they're going to go to a Blue Blood, like Gary Pinkle had the opportunity to do with Michigan. But chose to stay. But Pinkle was a different breed of cat. I remember I interviewed him at uh, Manchester in t- at 270. I think at the time it was it used to be the old Community Federal Savings and Loan Building. But now it's the Edward Jones Building. And uh, when he was hired. And I remember coming back to KMOV afterwards. And there were some Missouri fans and Missouri guys. Doug went to Missouri. Our editor, Mark Griffin, went to Missouri. And I came back and I said, I got to tell you. now I'm 23 at the time and, you know two years removed not even two years removed from living in columbia and i'm like i i buy into this guy you know there was just an intensity but a sincerity about it now that doesn't mean he could coach but it meant he's not bouncing around you know like mike anderson got it going and then you're like every year you're like he's going to be going and we were already kind of in the midst of it with quinn snyder and he only been there for a couple of years and you're already like you kind of get this thing this insecurity about your team your coach leaving so one of the things that you have as a Missouri fan, which really, I don't know if it's justified or not, but I know the fear is real, so whether or not it's justified, it's irrelevant, is that if you get a guy who has success, that he's going to leave because Missouri isn't a final destination job, except with a guy like Pinkle. So you have that. And the thought is, if Odom can get it going, he would stay here and you could have your guy in place for 25 years, which would be the best. That would be outstanding. But when... When presented with adversity, this thing about he rallies the troops. Well, he's rallied the troops because if you look at who he's played to win, and I'm, I'm not blaming him for that because, you know, you schedule West Virginia, you don't expect West Virginia to, to have have the kind of year they're going to have. You know, that was a real team on the schedule, but they just are a bad team this year. Um, but it, it, it is the way it's played out and in, in the SEC East with the way that it's scheduled? Missouri will play Georgia. Uh, earlier in the year, and then they'll then they'll just be running through Arkansas, which is always going to be there right now anyway, at the end of November, and they'll play Tennessee and they'll play Vanderbilt, and and they'll rack up these wins. And it's like look at Barry Odom turning around. i will be like, but anybody in the SEC would beat these teams right now. That's why they're firing their coaches. So in my perspective, again, this is before the. Con- I haven't even read this guy's emails. Poor motherfucker. Once there was email read, and here I am uh so this is before the Kentucky game and I'm just like kind of going off on a tangent on TMA and I wrote about it on the TMA fan page and nobody's really saying anything I'm like okay I guess I'm kind of just talking to myself because I guess I'm in a I'm in a minority on this I just don't understand Gabe DeArmond who's a good friend of mine uh and we've known each other since the journalism school 25 years ago in Columbia uh when he was on and saying there's no way barring an absolute collapse as in losing out the rest of the games that Barry Odom loses his job and I'm going based on what what in the and this is after the Vanderbilt game before the Kentucky game but after I'm going he's lost to Wyoming and he's lost to Vanderbilt who the fuck in the SEC gets away with that outside of Vanderbilt except you can't lose to Vanderbilt if you're Vanderbilt And then you go, well, okay, well, let's look at his wins. Well, shit. SEMO, Troy, West Virginia, and then we try to spin South Carolina into like beating an upper tier team. South Carolina got Georgia, don't get me wrong, but they got their asses handed to them by Tennessee and they lost to North Carolina. We We can't do this thing where we're spinning things into signature wins. Well, what about when he went to Purdue? Beating Purdue? What about when he got his ass beat by Purdue? Stomped. And so I'm not looking... For, so you kind of get into the single Missouri fans are unrealistic. That, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying it has to be Alabama at all. But there's a happy medium between being Alabama and going back to the Bob Stoll, Woody Wooden offer era and losing to Vanderbilt, Wyoming, Middle Tennessee State, getting blown, the doors blown off by Purdue at home you know, having some sloppy performances in bowl games when you have a lot of time to prepare. This is, this is you know, the South Carolina game, I realize it's South Carolina, but that was brutal last year. And then you go, okay, you can deal with it if it's like, okay, but there are some signature wins. Well, there's one, and it's at Florida, which is, God, I'd love to hear the perspective in Florida on that because there has to be, like, that, just, that just didn't, it just didn't stand a reason. It might be, have you asked Georgia fans about the South Carolina game? Like, what's their perspective? Because that's an outlier. So he's got two chances now with the games at home against Florida and then what's coming here after the bye week at, on the road against Georgia. And if you get one of those... Then you can get a little something going. But right now, people are, people are where I was. And again, I, w- I wasn't saying he needs to be fired. I, what I was saying is what in the hell has he done that makes him untouchable outside of, well, who else are we going to get? Which is the most, God, well, I'll tell you. I don't know. I'm just coming from a different... It's like the shit with my... Take your pick. My views on getting out of the cold weather. My views on religion. My views on sex. I guess I'm on my own little fucking island. But I'm very comfortable being on the island. God bless America. Just because something has not traditionally been one of the best does not mean that it cannot be one of the best. Especially when it has shown... God, 2007, 2008... 2010 2013 and 2014 it's not like i'm going back over 50 years i'm going back to 2007 that it can be one of the best that it can be i realize missouri has to do a hell of a lot more than take your pick of whatever football school in the sec or in ohio state or michigan or usc has to nebraska even if you want to include that even though that's a dumpster fire right now in order to to play with those schools but my God, losing a Vanderbilt in Wyoming and now getting the doors blown off by Kentucky and going, well, that's just kind of the way it is and you're being unrealistic. Well, I'm sorry. I just disagree with that. And again, I'm not saying this has to be Alabama or Clemson. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying in order to reach greatness, you have to believe that it's possible in the first place. Otherwise, you don't have a roadmap to get there. So what the fuck is going on it's such a strange thing it's like well you can't say anything because you don't donate and you don't go to games and it's like oh god is that is that what is that what our bar is for who it can and cannot criticize here is what the goal in my opinion should be to make furrow field a destination for people who in the whole scheme of things really just don't give a shit about what goes on on the field while they're there to want to be a part of it it's 90 minutes for most people in the St. Louis area to get there. It's 90 minutes for most people in the Kansas City area to get there. It is the only big time college football program in the state, all due respect to take your pick of whatever one you want to throw in there. But that is, and you are in this conference that has the best teams year in and year out populating its high end. And Missouri has been there twice. And it's what? Eight season history in the SEC. So it is not impossible. But God, you know, so let's let's take it back before the Vanderbilt in Kentucky debacles. And, you know, there was this thing like, well, boy, you got to give Barry Odom credit for turning it around after losing Wyoming. I'm like, no, you don't. Because he was playing West Virginia, a shitty West Virginia team, SEMO, South Carolina, Troy, and Ole Miss. I mean, fuck if he had Auburn's schedule were we gonna blame Barry Odom for losing those games no because he's not supposed to win those games he's been a double-digit favorite every game this year double-digit favorite in every game this year and yet their record is five and three shit but here's the thing I know I know it's in now it's like it's like the standing issue it's like okay now everybody else is doing it so it's safe to do it. Well, I was doing this last week when it wasn't as safe, when it was anybody talking about him losing his jobs, wasting their time. Okay, I get. I mean, if that's where everybody is, fine. Then I'm just going to be sitting here going, I don't get what the hell's happened here. But five years ago, I was at the Georgia Dome watching my alma mater play Alabama for the right to win the SEC championship. And now we're explaining away losses in Laramie and Nashville. What the fuck? God bless him. So I, th- I think what's happened, I think what's happened. I think, again, these are theories. I think what's happened that in 2019, more so than 2009, and certainly 1999, with social media, it's almost like politics. You express your opinion at the outset, and you can't admit that you were wrong. And so you just dig in, and then you dig in, and then if some new evidence comes to light, then you redirect. And if it's evidence that is... uh, Discredits your initial opinion, then you spin it and justify it. And if it's something that really doesn't even bolster your opinion, you spin it into be the biggest fucking deal in the world. And the reality is, in his time in Columbia, Barry Odom has been average, average to below average. That's it. That's it. That's a good, well, when's the last time you saw Missouri rattle off eight-win seasons around here? Well, they hadn't been playing 12 fucking games for their entirety of the program in college football. That's just not the way that it's worked. So we got to put an asterisk next to that. And up until the Bill Snyder plan went into effect in the 1990s, schools weren't fumble-fucking-around with people that nobody wanted to watch them play. God bless America. Here's Missouri's football schedule in 1978. They started off the year at Notre Dame, Notre Dame number five in the country, defending national champions. Then they went home to take on number one, Alabama. Keep in mind, they were in the big eight. Then they followed that up against Ole Miss. And then they followed that up at number one, Oklahoma. Then they were at home against Illinois. Then they were at home against Iowa State. Then they went on the road against Kansas State. Then at home against Colorado. Then at Oklahoma State then at home against Kansas, then at Nebraska, and then they took on LSU in a bowl game. So the non-conference games were Notre Dame, Alabama, Ole Miss, and then the bowl game they played LSU, and then you played everybody in the conference. Now, I want to make this crystal clear. It is not as if I'm of the opinion that Missouri is the only one who schedules light. And again, to Missouri's credit, they scheduled West Virginia. So I get the move. You schedule at least one Power 5 team, if you can, and then you fill it up with, three that should be layups, and then you're in the SEC, and if you can, and you can get three wins, then you're in a bowl. But the bar for a successful season being a bowl, like we're talking about 1985 college football, is disingenuous. I get it. It gives college football coaches equity, especially if you can run around and say we go to bowls around here and then go late-win seasons. Well, fuck. If you're handed four right out of the gate, and then you have Vanderbilt in your conference – you're in a pretty damn good spot to win one of the other seven. And we're going to call that a successful season because you went 6 and 6 or 7 and 5. Come on. And I got a problem with that. That's why I liked what Pinkel did in 2001, which was yeah, we're not celebrating moral victories around. We lost 35 to 16. We're not celebrating moral victories around here. So, that is that's that's what bothers me. I think my, my irritation is more actually with a portion of the Missouri fan base. And and so I think it was like, well, he's in true son, the true son thing. Um, although I, I think that might just be for a wing of the fan base. And then it gets into the Kim Anderson comparisons. And I don't think that's fair. I realize they both went to Missouri and they're both having some issues. The Kim Anderson thing, a guy I really, really like, was an absolute debacle. And I think that was a political move to quiet a wing of the fan base by Mike Alden. Um, that's... That's that. Barry Odom got the job because who else are you going to get in that situation in 2015? Realistically. So we get, we have to have an honest conversation about how it all came to fruition because he might have been in a position at a school when the resume wasn't quite ready yet, but the school wasn't in a position because of what had happened in order to get somebody who had the resume worthy of the job. And then at the same time, you don't want to just spew him out when things go wrong but things haven't really gone that right the schedule has broken in his favor and that's that's the thing that that i would go god yeah i'm glad they won but jeez who have they beaten and then you had the win last year at the swamp and okay that's great win but there haven't been any others and so then it's like what about when they beat purdue and they had to send a message after it's like oh my god are we really doing this we're really going to, like, talk about a win at Purdue as being, like, a signal? Is that where it's gone? Holy shit. God. Oh, it tilts. It really drives me up the wall. Obviously, I've spent, like, 15 minutes on it. I still haven't read this guy's email. I don't even know what he says in the email. All right, let me read the email. I'm a fucking mess is what I am. Tim, not sure if you'll do a QFTA anytime soon. I do one every Wednesday unless the Cardinals are in the playoffs or the Blues in the playoffs. Uh, But the Mizzou Odom talk the last few days got me thinking. Now, keep in mind, this was sent before the Kentucky game, so I don't know where this is going. Uh, It was sent on Thursday the 24th. Often in the discussion of Barry Odom, it is mentioned that he is a Missouri guy and the Missouri head football coaching job wouldn't be a stepping stone or, or wouldn't be a stepping stone launching pad for him but a final destination. And it's around the stepping stone launching pad phrase that I have several questions about I'm under no delusions that Mizzou is a college blue blood, Alabama, Auburn, Clemson, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Florida State, LSU, Texas, or Oklahoma, etc. And NFL is always an option. But this is an SEC head coaching job. And in 2015, Mizzou Curators approved $4 million yearly, yearly salary for Pinkle, which at the time I think was in the top 15 on par with Spurrier, higher than Richt, and in 2019 would still be in the top 30. I'm generally curious about yours – Plowboys, Gangster Pete, and Doug's thoughts about this. Without considering a guy's family or alum ties, how many head coaching jobs through a combination of salary, recruitment resources, and path to a playoff bid via conference division are so obviously in a higher echelon that Mizzou realistically couldn't keep their head coach if one came knocking? For those schools that you would classify above Mizzou or that could pay more, what do you think the Mizzou coach's record accomplishments would have to be before said schools, NFL, start trying to poach him? and then finally get him to leave. And based on what you think the Mizzou head coach would have to accomplish before Mizzou couldn't feasibly keep him, would you be happy with what you got as a fan? I ask because it seems this Missouri guy thing is thrown out there in coaching searches if Mizzou is a max school. I understand wanting a guy to be there long enough to program build, but I personally think Missouri is a high enough football program that if the Head coach is leaving because of their success. That means something truly special happened. Thanks for the time and no worries. If you don't feel like answering this, that comes from Squints in New York City. Squints, thank you for listening in New York City. I love that the podcast is a way that people stay in touch with their uh, hometown or home state. It's a great question. It kind of uh, lays out, if I were a responsible host, I would have read this first and I would not be uh, in a spot where I'm restating some of the things I just went on a tangent about. But it's a great observation. Because if you get it going at Missouri... The, then the only way you're going to get poached is if, you, if it's one of those other schools. And the question, you know, like what you had with Mike Anderson, who that, when, when Mike Anderson left, I wasn't like, oh my God, what are we going to do? I was like, fine. I thought that was a, I didn't buy in on that. And I didn't like that every year he was leveraging Missouri in his job search. That that became tired. Um, but Arkansas came calling. That was his home school. You know, that's where he was Nolan Richardson's assistant forever. So you can't control that. You know, I mean, you know, and if, if Missouri's coach then goes to Notre Dame like a Dan Devine situation, then God bless America. Um, you know, if, if Missouri hires Alabama's assistant and he kills it here and Alabama can't get Dabo Swinney when Sabin retires and they want to hire Missouri's head coach, okay. I mean, you know, obviously the guy – what your point, squints is, is the guy will have had to have killed it, you know. Um, the Gary Pinkle thing was – you know, it was a, it might be a once in a lifetime kind of deal that you had this guy who just, he had zero interest from the get go. I mean, it, God, I'll tell you some of these interviews that I did, uh, not because I was so great, but just, I mean, I, that, that like you can go back and look at them. I wonder if I can get these things since Doug's there my brother works there. I don't know where the hell they would be. Ah, they probably wouldn't be that tough to find. Um, and you can tell. When you're talking with Pinkle, and I don't even know why I bothered asking about it, but he's like, you know, I mean, he, it was so tough for him to leave Toledo. And I thought that told you a lot about him, just like I think it tells you a lot about the way Mike Anderson left Columbia. I think it tells you a lot about him, not because he left Columbia. God bless him. He was going back to the place where he was raised as a coach. I get that. But it was the way he went out, whereas Pinkle was agonizing over leaving Toledo to go to a Big 12 school. You know, I think it tells you something. And those are the kind of guys I want to hitch my wagon to. So, you know, it's it's the nature of the beast. But that's the thing. I just think it's, I, I don't think it's possible. I know it's possible at Missouri. I also know it's a hell of a lot more difficult at Missouri than it is, take your pick of like five SEC schools that we could rattle off right now and go, yeah, well, they all could win the national championship or they all have won the national championship within the last, Ten years. I understand that. But Missouri's been a win away twice. And Missouri was in their conference championship game four times since two thousand seven. And then what they were the tied for the Big Twelve North in two thousand ten. So, yeah, and two two weeks ago, I'm recording this on Monday, two weeks ago they were number twenty two in the country. Now, I see that the difference is there have been some good Missouri teams that didn't have great records, like the nineteen ninety eight team I was citing. That team would run this team off the field. Uh, but they didn't have a great record. But they were playing great teams. This is this is a different operation. And by the way, because I made reference to it earlier, this is something else. And this is this is a factor in the whole discussion on Barry Odom. This is this is the home schedule in 2020. Sweet mother of mercy, God Almighty! Here's what you got. Start things off on September 5th against Central Arkansas. And then Vanderbilt comes a calling. September 26th, Eastern Michigan. Got the Georgia game. Even year, got Georgia. Got Kentucky. Then you have Louisiana. Oh, LSU? That'll be fun. No. Louisiana, period. Not Louisiana State University. Louisiana, Louisiana on November 21st, and then Arkansas. That'll be great. That'll be great. Holy shit. Wow. I'm telling you. So... If, if Jim Sterk didn't enjoy the fun and games of uh, the lack of crowd before, I'm telling you, you're, and you're bringing Barry Odom back for 2020, this is going to be something else. It's a tough spot, and it's a shame, man. It's a shame. Um, but, yes, Squints in New York City, I am with you. I think there is a – like, I don't know I. I, th- I Like, all these theses I want to write anytime I do questions from the audience. But I think some of the, like, fifth down, Tyus Edney, Flea Kicker, Norfolk State just predisposes Missouri fan to be self-loathing or self-pitying or we aren't, it's not possible for it to happen in Columbia, Missouri type stuff. And I just disagree. I just disagree. Again, that doesn't mean I expect Alabama I expect Georgia kind of results. It's not what I'm saying. It's not what I'm saying at all. But I do expect you in your first three and a half years to not have a tally of losses at Wyoming and Vanderbilt and blown off the field by Purdue and losing against Middle Tennessee State. You know, and in that time at least something more than a win at Florida. That's that's where i'm coming from and i, I think i don't even, i think there's plenty of room for that opinion without it being hey missouri we who the hell, by the way who the fuck are these people that are saying missouri needs to win national championship M- missouri's delusional has delusional fans like it's like a convenient thing to say but where are they fuck i read Tigerboard and powermazoo.com and the colonel and dave matter and all those and ben frederickson i don't see anybody saying this what people are saying is hey You had a really favorable schedule in a brutal conference this year, and you started off the year killing momentum by losing at Wyoming. And, hey, you got to number 22 in the country after losing to Wyoming, even though you didn't necessarily beat anybody great, but whatever. You know, West Virginia, South Carolina, and Ole Miss are all teams that can be good. They just aren't this year. And, hell, South Carolina went to Athens and won. And then you go to Vanderbilt, and you're set up to have this game against Georgia where you're, you could be in the top 10 at that time. Sitting there at, what, 8-1. and one. And could have everybody talking about you for two weeks after your bye. And instead you lose to Vanderbilt, and you lose to Kentucky. And it's not just losing, because the Wyoming game was like a fluky loss. That Vanderbilt game, they were beaten in the Kentucky game. They were barely even on the field. That's a concern. That's a concern. That's a concern. It's like in Auburn. When Auburn beat Missouri in 2013, Auburn also had two of the flukiest wins. They had to be in position to win in order to get them, but against Georgia with the tip ball for the long touchdown reception and uh, obviously the famous field goal kick uh, for the touchdown against Alabama in the Iron Bowl. Okay, but you know, that's kind of you – know, they both went their way, but they both can also go the other way. Missouri had no chance against Vanderbilt or Kentucky. It really didn't against Kentucky. And to say, I mean, are you watching that game? I was watching that game and I'm like, wow, Missouri's still minus 120 live betting. I could bet Vanderbilt here and I really like Vanderbilt's chances to win. And that's when it was 14 14. Like you could see it was going on. Wow. And I just don't like when Barry Odom starts throwing these things around about the winning seasons and the number of wins. And it's like, yeah, but who are you beaten? God bless America boy it do, it bothers me it really gets it gets me going more than cardinal topics obviously because um, I feel like it's like it's I don't know it's I don't, I don't it's disingenuine and that's what bothers me about it and then the, like then 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 I was the guy that's like really he's untouchable unless they lose out what the hell's happened here so you're telling me you beat a shitty West Virginia team you beat semo you beat South Carolina you beat Troy and Ole Miss. And you're safe with losses at Wyoming and at Vanderbilt? What in the... And that was before Kentucky? and Wow. But here's the thing. I, th- th- like, if I weren't a Missouri guy, like I'd be lit up for saying this. I'm a Missouri guy. There's no championship I want to see more now at this point. Now that I've been lucky enough to see Cardinal World Championships and the Blues win a Stanley Cup than a Missouri Football Championship... And I went to Missouri. And all of those things that supposedly would would ingratiate myself to the Missouri fans. But this will piss Missouri fans up. I know the program. Been on the receiving end of this stuff for two decades now. But God, it's possible. It is possible there. And I realize you're going to have bad years. You're going to have injuries. And you're going to have schedules like last year. I wasn't going to hold it against Barry Odom that he had to go to Tuscaloosa. Holy shit. But fuck. Fuck. I do have to hold it against them if they're going to lose at Laramie and at Nashville. And this, like, spinning things, like the, the win total. It's like, dude, you're playing 12 games. Bob Stahl wasn't playing 12 games. Larry Smith wasn't playing 12 games. It is start in Columbia. Gary Pinkle wasn't playing 12 games. And they weren't playing Troy. You know, Pinkle did, famously. But in the 80s, and we're talking about the football program's history building up win totals. It's not apples to apples. It's like the dead ball era in baseball and then talking about power numbers. It's a different world. I don't know. Whatever. I've, I've, I've spent like a half hour on this and obviously I'm banty as fuck. All right, I'm going to get off a sports topic here. Uh, the hunchback of Vaughn Castle writing in. I'm all emails all the time here today. Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Can't emphasize enough how important it is to have a, a financial advisor, but then it's not just any financial advisor. It's somebody who who knows, but cares. Again, plenty of people who can know, but cares. And Mark Hanna helps everyday people every day get their finances organized. You can call him at 314-889-0503. That's 314-889-0503, or go online to evergreenstl.com. His name is Mark Hanna. He is with Evergreen Wealth Strategies. And I can tell you from getting to know Mark here over the last year, that this is a first-class person who has your best interests at heart, and just calling him at 314-889-0503 is going to make you feel better and you're on the right track. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies, 314-889-0503, or go online at evergreenstl.com. What do you think is becoming, what do you think is something that is currently considered taboo in America that if it became socially acceptable, it would have a positive impact on society? Um, okay, not being religious. How about that? How's that play? That's where I'll go with it. I think it's healthy to say I'm agnostic, if one is asked. But, you know, we were having a conversation, because as I've said multiple times when the topics come up, whether it be on TMA or here on the podcast, of all the presidential candidates so far, um, as I speak on October, what are we doing here, October 28th, and you're probably listening to this on October 30th, 2019, the one who's impressed me the most is Pete Buttigieg. But then the question comes into, would the United States elect a gay man in 2020? Now, I'd like to think that can happen, but I don't know if it can. I don't know. And so then I've gotten to the discussion of what is more likely to happen, the United States elects a gay man or woman or the United States elects somebody who is publicly agnostic or atheist, man or woman. What do you think? I mean, it's obviously it's a hypothetical with no right or wrong answer. I suppose we can pull up polling data. Um, but I would imagine it would be less likely for someone who's agnostic or atheist to win the presidency and i think it's healthy to have the conversation but i know i know just from, from growing up that um and, and remembering what it was like that that and i don't know if I, I would also say you know we're talking 30 plus years ago here but um if if one is not a believer so to speak um and uh and then if they're not then they are the bad guy again this is not with everybody by any means and it's not even with the majority of people but just in general that that it's at that quick and then something's off there and i think it's i think it's healthy to have the conversation now do i do i believe it's similar to do, have we had a a gay man as president in the white house before um b- probably possibly um have we had an atheist or an agnostic in the white house before everything I got on that Um, but I mean in both cases nobody's been public about it Um, so because obviously it wouldn't play so um, that to me would be a start and and again but, but there's a difference between questioning religion and the existence of a higher power or questioning dogma and then shitting on people who are religious. So that's going to be our theme for today's questions from the audience. There is a difference between thinking Missouri is a college football blue blood, albeit I still haven't had anybody present me an example of even a dog avatar on Twitter saying that Missouri is a college football blue blood and going, you know what? I don't think Missouri should be losing to Wyoming and, and Nashville and getting blown off the field against a Kentucky team with a wide receiver quarterback. I think there's room there. I think there's room for there to be a third party. And I think there's room here for this discussion to be somebody who um, is agnostic, atheist, and uh, and questions religion, questions whether or not there is a higher power, or in my case, just says, I don't know. I don't know. I know it'd be wonderful if that were the case. At least I think it'd be wonderful. Ideally, the higher power is a, a friend of the feather, so to speak. Um, but I don't know and I'm pretty certain that everybody listening to this doesn't know either but I do know that some people feel like they know and then they want to take that and then apply it to law for people who may not share that view and that's where we get into a problem which then becomes a governmental issue and that's now of course limited to the United States it also goes on in the Middle East it's called a theocracy And then you create false narratives like there's wars on Christmas and crap like that. And you get people fired up over wedge issues. And then you win elections with, you know, people who might not be qualified to be holding the particular office. So there you go. That shit has been going on for a long time, well before 2016. So that to me would be helpful. Um, What else? Sex. Discussing sex. I mean, I'm, I'm... I am in some corners still uh like the bad the bad guy because I talk about sex. Well you talk about porn. Okay. I talk about porn. That makes me that makes me the bad guy? Well you can't have you can't but you have like you'll have porn stars on. Okay. What about when we had somebody on who's got a, a rap sheet. They've got take your pick of whatever went on criminally with them. I'm not talking about, like, murder raps. I'm talking about shit where other people's lives are put at risk. I'm talking about DUIs. I'm talking about, well, everybody's got a DUI, but I'm talking about, okay, the, but, but the, the, the porn star can't be talked about or talked to. That's, that's, that's untouchable. But athletes or whomever who have done things that actually do hurt other people, that's fine. And I'm not saying this is everyone, by the way, but I just I, I observe this double, and I just think it's it's an amazing thing. Like we we like all shit on sex workers as being somehow subhuman, subhuman. And I don't even and, and, and it'd be one thing if it's like, well, yeah, but I mean, you know, like 0.1 percent of society even knows what's going on. Well, then you go and then you look at the uh, the numbers for traffic on take your pick of whatever porn site you want. And you realize how popular it is. It's just people don't talk about it. Well, I find the stuff to be amusing. And I know I'm also talking about something that resonates with everyone, but then they have to publicly go, oh, yeah, I like the show, but sometimes I have to turn it off when I have the kids in the car. And I understand that, but it's kind of like this. Like I have more people tell me. They come up to me or they'll talk about they met another listener and they come up to the other listener And they're like admitting they have like a black tar heroin habit when they find out they both listen to the morning after to this podcast as if it's something to be ashamed. I mean, I guess I'm I'm, I'm, in a way, I guess I'm glad that it is because then it kind of has this um, perceived edge about it, even though I'm a a 43 year old father sitting in his basement uh, doing a podcast. But, you know, it's 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 a funny thing. I've gotten to know some people outside of like the TMA universe and broadcasting here recently. And it has to be, and they've said, as a matter of fact, what their perception of me based on what they've either heard in, in, on this show or TMA or, um, or heard about versus what they meet. If anything, I would say it's a huge letdown because it's like, listen, I mean my life at this and I'm not saying this to like get any points it's just it's just how it is my life is is my family now different ball game than even just a few years ago as many of you who are listening or parents know the program and I almost don't like even want to like spoil the journey for people who haven't been there cuz I I feel like it kind of can come off condescending like you just don't know but I, that is that is an accurate statement and there's no there's no words for me to 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 convey it properly there there aren't until you experience it, and then you experience it, and then, then you understand. But I, when people used to say that to me, I'd go, like, okay, go fuck yourself. I'm you know, in Las Vegas and having threesomes, and it's the greatest thing in the world, and you're telling me that being a dad is better than that? You're out of your fucking mind. You just haven't been out to Las Vegas having the threesomes. And then then I experienced being a dad. I'm like, yep, yeah, I'll take this over the threesomes. I'd still like to have both. I'd still enjoy both. But um, I get it. So now I get it. So, but, but the perception is one thing versus what, what is the reality, but I don't care. I mean, I can't do anything about it I don't, at the same time. Fortunately, I don't have to like, if I were still doing TV, I'd have to like do the thing where, you know, I'm like a robot and you know, but that, that, that is fortunately not part of the deal. So I think being able to talk about, and I, and I think being able to talk about sex actually is probably more helpful to individuals than the demonization that may exist for one who is agnostic or atheist. Because what you have happen is you can't comfortably talk about sex and then kids grow up learning it on their own and then all of a sudden they wind up having whatever kind of issues come up when they're doing things that they aren't comfortable talking about with their, their parents or brothers or sisters who are older or whatever the case might be. And then it becomes like this taboo. Then it's like, why? Everybody does it. Ideally, everybody wants to be doing it if they're not doing it. And it's, it's, it's part of human nature. And then it leads to like the greatest thing about human beings, and that's procreation. I just, for the life of me, I don't get it. I don't know. I don't know. It's like cursing. I have no idea. I just, I just know, so I don't do it, that if I say fuck when I'm on the radio, that like the, the station's going to get fined, and I'm going to get fined, and I guess I could get fired. It, and, and why it's a word fuck 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 okay what just happened nothing okay i watch porn i enjoy it big fan of that abigail mac i think she's beautiful uh keep an eye on um let me go let's see give, give you some some power rankings for everybody to get excited about uh you know uh gabby carter big fan keep an eye on her you know she's the she's the pete alonso of 2019 and then now i'm a bad guy so I don't know, whatever. I, I, in a way, I guess it's kind of like, a, I guess it like adds to this like thing um, that the show is edgy or I'm edgy or whatever, when in reality I'm just sitting here looking at myself in my beat-up Nike gym shorts and my shitty T-shirt while I'm sitting in my basement hearing my son run around and wish I could run up there and play with him, but I'm down here talking about the reasons why I'm the bad guy. But uh, that's that's uh, that, that, that to me is, those things stand out to me. Those things stand out to me. I and mean, maybe I'm missing some other ones. I don't know i want to dig into this those i mean they're obvious um i i'll go i'll go on i'll go in another direction i'll take some shrapnel on this one i think talking about obesity as a health crisis for our country is taboo right now because it gets into oh you're shaming fat people no not at all. I think if you're shitting on somebody and mocking them, like sometimes people like mock like a heavy person who's at the gym. Well, God bless the person for taking what has to be the first step. You had, you know, if you're out of shape, it doesn't just like you just don't show up to the gym when you got bo- your body fat down to 20% or 15% or whatever. You know, they're taking so good for them. Or like t- mocking somebody, a, you know, just, that's different. But going, you know what, we have a problem here. And I think a lot of people do have an interest in getting healthy, but there's misinformation, intentional misinformation out there. Well, I can have diet soda. I'm not having Coca-Cola. I'm having Diet Coke. Well, this is fat-free. Well, this is low sugar. Those kinds of because I think I think yeah, it's you know, I'm not by any means. Let me make it clear that the where I am on climate change which I realize would be unpopular with some of you in the audience, and, and that I do believe, not that this, is, this shouldn't be a real controversial opinion, that climate change is real and that it is a real issue. But we also have something that's very obvious to me, and I think others, except it's not being talked about. And maybe it's because there isn't money in it. But that's an obesity that leads to health care crisis in the United States. So there, I guess that's unpopular. I don't know. I mean, I, I, what, what, what a weird fucking thing to think is unpopular. But, but if I were sitting here going, and how about all these fat motherfuckers, and I watch these people eat this shit when I go to sporting events, that, that's, that's, that's a different deal. That's the, I'm, that isn't where I'm going on this. I'm talking about we have an issue here. We have, clearly have an issue here, and, and it impacts the healthcare system. That, of course, becomes a talking point on cable news, but we're not talking about some of the elements of it leading into it. But if you're going, like I said, there's a difference between um, having the conversation and then shitting on shitting on people who are religious or shitting on people who are fat. You know, that's where I'm coming from on it. All right, I've only answered four emails. I've just been on a, a tangent here. Uh, let's see. I know that I got this one today, and I knew it was someone I wanted to. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, it's, it's a kind of an awkward one, but I'll answer it anyway. Hey, Tim, enjoy the show. It's kept me in touch with St. Louis after moving last summer to North Carolina. I genuinely enjoy your level-headed, thought out, logical, and fairly non-biased takes on most topics that can challenge mine in a thoughtful way more than any other podcast I listen to. Thank you. That is a great compliment. I appreciate that compliment big time. It's the reason I still listen that and so I can contribute productively to group texts. Uh, here's my question: As I can't always tell what is your opinion on the athletic, I'm talking about the website, the app, the athletic, both content-wise and business-wise. I've been a subscriber for a while now and really love the content they have, especially their features, writing, and don't mind the cost of it because I'm getting quality content. Uh, thanks. That comes from Shane. Love how I mean how great it we get New York City. We got North Carolina. Um, I gotta grab my water bottle. I haven't had a beverage, and I see I've been talking for an hour and sixteen minutes. Ah, yes, refreshing. Um, well, it's it, the reason why I say it's awkward. I just, I don't like to get into critiquing. I don't know. It's not that I don't. I I don't I don't. Ha- I'm not privy to the financials, nor should I be. I am skeptical. Or suspicious, although suspicious makes it sound like I don't trust. I just don't know if I. Let me put it this way: if my financial advisor came to me and said, "I think you should buy up some of the Athletic," if that were an option, uh, I don't. I wouldn't buy. But that doesn't mean I'm. I'm a subscriber to the Athletic. I just. It's a. I mean. In whenever it started. Now it started a while ago, but like there their rush of just like gobbling up markets it just so happened i guess i can say this now i don't know why i wouldn't be able to say it that i was talking with um and meeting with a gentleman i guess i can say he's from st louis doesn't live here anymore um who uh is already retired even though he's younger than me <laughs> god bless him and now just invests and he's um, I guess tech guy, for lack of a better term, I'm sure if I, he were sitting here, he'd go, yeah, I'm not a tech guy. And then he would explain what he does and it'd be over my head and I'd go, okay, tech guy, but either way. So obviously a smart man. And uh, we've talked about doing some things together. And I was talking about, I said, I see this model. There's a guy in Pittsburgh doing this DK on sports thing. And I think that could be a play and then I also see this thing called The Athletic and they're in, they were in Chicago, Toronto, and I can't remember where else. And that's the only place, they were only in three places. Like if you go, go to the site now, and this, by the way, I, this was either 2016 or 2017. It wasn't 2018. And we tried to hire Jeremy Rutherford. And this is, and I think we met with Jeremy Rutherford before he even got contacted by The Athletic. But it all happened in a matter of weeks. It was so, it's so amazing to see what happens now with business, with startups, with entrepreneurial plays, and how they used to be like these gradual, okay, in year one we'll do this, in year two. And now it's like it happens, in a. it can happen, not always. It can happen in a matter of weeks. And then you start it up, and and <laughs> in the time, like I'm trying to hire somebody to build my app, this company started up, and they've already spun it off and sold it and made their money and moved on. I mean, it's just... It's just, it's a different world and and you see it and you observe it and you adjust uh, and you better adapt. Otherwise, you'll be left behind. And so I love the idea and I'm a big believer in what they are doing with regard to um, paying for content and the caliber of content they're delivering. What I'm skeptical of is the long-term business model because since we were looking at doing it, you know, it's not like we went into, you know, thorough, I'm talking about, you know, laid out a whole year in, in booked flights and hotels and all of the thing and the, the per diems and salaries and then built in our margins and all of that. But it's an expensive venture. And then they paid these people a lot of money, more than they were making at their previous places. That's how they got them to leave. And I want it to work because it's good for sports media and in media in turn. I just don't I they, they have they every I feel like every few months you'll read one of these articles and they'll talk about how do, well they're doing, except they're not profiting yet. And at some point, that's gotta happen. At least I think it's gotta happen, although then you'll point to, you know, social media platforms, Oh, we haven't generated a profit, but it's valued at this hundreds of millions of dollars or whatever it is. Um so that that's so from a content standpoint, yeah, it's great. I, You know, I got to be really into something to go digging into The Athletic. Otherwise, I'm just, I, I don't really, you know, it's a different world now um, for me as far as reading sports media, especially locally, uh, than it was even five, six years ago. You know, um, now it's it's romanticized about the days of, Bernie Miklas, Brian Burwell, and Joe Strauss at the Post-Dispatch, which wasn't that long ago. Um, but if we are if, if we can not do our revisionist history on it, at the very least, one of those guys was unpopular. Usually it was Brian Burwell. And then Strauss would, you know, get people going on Twitter. And Bernie would – some people loved him. Some people didn't. Uh, so, you know, now people are like, oh, my God, I can't believe we used to have Bernie Miklas and Brian Burwell and Joe Strauss. Um but let's you know, his columnists, much less the the talent of you know Derek Gould, Jim Thomas, Jeremy Rutherford. I'm not trying to leave people out here, so I hope I'm not leaving people out. Um, so, you know, let's not, you know, there are a lot of people who were killing, you know the reputations of people, uh, and then they got sick and passed away. and then it became, oh, I love this person. I'm like, oh yeah, I remember what it was like when they were alive, and that don't remember that necessarily being what you were saying, but whatever. Um, so it's not like back in the day, like even in the two thousands where you would wake up on a Saturday morning, ideally not hungover, and look forward to reading Bernie's bits. That's what I did. I'm sure a lot of you can relate to that. That isn't there anymore, but things change. The business changes. As I said at the beginning, you got to adapt. I hope what the athletic is doing is not only sustainable, but continues to grow. I love to write, love to write. I posted on the TMA fan page, and I don't even know what. You know why? I don't even know how the hell this happened. Somebody had friend requested me on Facebook, and I looked to see who our mutual friends were to try to do as much vetting as I could on making sure it wasn't another bot. And I saw we were mutual friends with Skip Schumacher. And I'm like, God, I didn't know I was friends with Skip Schumacher. What in the hell is that? And I'm like, God, I think I DM'd him one time. And then I went back, and I saw the DM. Boy, this is really getting off track, but that's, that's QFTA for you. And I sent him the DM on, I think, October 25th or 26th, 2011. What does that date mean to you? It is the day before David Freeze's Game 6. And I had written a column, and I have to say, um, I'm, I, of all the columns I wrote on Inside STL over the decade or so in which I wrote on Inside STL, like every night, Monday through Friday or Sunday through Thursday, I guess. uh, I just made myself do it. Nobody was paying me to do it. I look back on it and candidly, you combine that with how much poker I was playing and, you know, God, just when it gets down to it, waste of time, that was. Um, But uh, but the, the one called The Price of Hope about my... Uh, cancer misdiagnosis uh, in 2012 is certainly what I'm most proud of um, because I think it helped people um, and made them more cognizant of going to the doctor and getting things checked out so that that's that's number one easily but I think my second favorite is the one that I wrote and coincidentally because I I didn't I didn't when it was going on or even now I don't think about it like oh my god I can't believe that I wrote this and then that happened as if, you know, the two are related, I view it as a coincidence, otherwise I'd have to consider that there are these superpowers in, in play, and that's just not my mind. Um, but I remember we lived at Park Pacific in 2011, which is downtown. Um, and um, I, I guess I was coming back from KFNS and Webster Groves at the time and dry and I don't even remember how I would come and go. I guess I went down 44. If that would make sense. And uh, got off at, don't even know what exit, and was on one of those bridges over like the railroad tracks, heading northbound toward downtown, and I saw Bush Stadium. And for whatever reason, I remember thinking to myself, something's going to happen there over the next 48 hours, or 72 hours, because I knew that there was a chance there was going to be a rain, rain out, and there was. Um, and that wasn't a superpower. That was just a knowledge of the forecast, and and there was there was there was nothing that anybody could do to stop it. That was going to happen. That didn't mean it was going to be the Cardinals, but either the Cardinals or the Rangers were going to win the World Championship in that building. That building that at 10:30 in the morning I was driving past and was quiet and had nothing going on in it that day. It was the the off day. As it turned out, there would be two off days with the rain out. And it just, for whatever reason, it really hit me that all of what we do hosting shows and talking about it, but way more so all of the people who get their paychecks from that building are geared toward that moment, everything that we talk about with regard to trades and free agent signings in November and December, and now January and February, and everything with regard to the winter warm-up, and everything with regard to spring training in February and March, and bitching about moves or loving wins in April, May, June, July, August, and the pennant race of the Cardinal comeback that year in September, everything through beating Roy Halladay in Game 5 and beating Niger Morgan and the Brewers and in, in the NLCS and Pujol's three home run game, and Adam Wainwright's Tommy John surgery, and Colby Rasmus getting traded, everything all year, and most for most franchises for decades, is geared toward what is going to take place over the next 48 hours in that building. That's what it comes down to. That's everything. It's all geared toward that moment. And it hit me, that for as long as the franchise had been around, and we're talking about, I, th- I don't even know what the, I think I did the math at the time, it was like 47,000 days or something like that. Or they played 47 I don't know what it was, some, some asinine amount of numbers. That of all of those days, there had only been 10 in the history of the organization, the second most successful organization at the time in all of baseball, next to the Yankees, in which the day ended with a world championship. And once we get past the year 1967, there had only been three. Well, actually, take that back. There had only been two between 67 And that day, as I was driving across the bridge and saw Bush Stadium on my right, that's it. Two, 82 in 2006. And so the magnitude of knowing that in that building that was going to happen for one franchise, and at the time... Considering the Cardinals were coming off the Tony larusso Lance Lynn bullpen phone gate deal, most people in St. Louis weren't thinking it was going to be the Cardinals. It it just it just really for whatever reason it really hit me, and I wrote a column about it. Uh, and I it, it I you know I don't I, I by no means am I going to sit here and um you know what a, say it had anything of course it didn't have a damn thing to do with what took place but i gather based on i so saw i open up this dm that i sent to skip schumacher and I, I i don't remember it but it had to have happened i'm sure i have saved the email unless he texted me but bill DeWitt either texted me or emailed me about it and i guess the column got traction and it so happens that in 2004 if you can take yourself back. The Cardinals were up 2-0 on the Astros, and then they lost three straight in Houston, and it culminated with Jeff Kent hitting a walk-off of Jason Isringhausen in Houston, and they were up 3-2. to two. And on this um, Cardinal message board, a gentleman who I don't know wrote this, you know, I don't even know, kind of like a, it was almost like a pep talk, nostalgic thing and he's just like it, they're gonna win today and and laid out the history and keep in mind at the time the cardinals hadn't been in the world series since 87 and they hadn't um, won a world series since 82 and there were, you know it was a different mindset in 2004 um, and it looked like they were about to lose and lose yet again in the nlcs 2000 2002 2004 uh, this 105-win team is going to lose in the NLCS after being up 2-0. It was pretty rough. And he wrote this thing, and then Jim Edmonds hits the home run in game six. So he wrote this thing before game six. And I remember I showed it to Tony La Russa after the game, and uh, he, was, he read it. He goes, That's pretty cool. And he, he shared it with some people on the team. Um, that is not why I wrote this at all. I just remember all I was thinking is, God, that, you know, in 2006, when the Cardinals won the World Series, they won it in game five. So if you want to have that same f- foreshadowing, we didn't know that that building was going to see the World Championship, just like this year. We knew the Blues, the Cup was in the building in game six, but we didn't know they were going to win. And unfortunately, they didn't. But you knew when you showed up in Boston at the Garden that the Cup was there and somebody was going to be lifting it that night. You don't have that too often in sports. Um, and 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 so you have that and you have it in your hometown and you have it a few blocks away from where i live and so that stood out to me and so i pulled up the column here um let's see um it uh, this I'll just read the end of it. This is the moment. This is what will determine whether or not this team that took what could have been, what should have been, death blow after death blow, will be remembered forever in Cardinal lore as perhaps the most unlikely world champion of them all. There have been ten to come before them. The organization has been around for forty-seven thousand eighty-five days, and in all that time, only ten have been days with a capital D. The 4,700 to 1 ratio speaks for itself. These chances do not come around often. And here it is. Wainwright, Franklin, Colby, Phillips, and Niger, all just obstacles in the rearview mirror. It's now just 18 innings. You wake up and you know what you do, what you see, and what you hear will stick with you for the rest of your life. You wake up with a chance to do something that only a handful of men will ever get to experience. You get to wake up, and have a day and the day was capitalized that's the end of the column the day was capitalized as in a world championship you have a chance on that day to to be one of the now 11 days in the history of the organization and this happened to be written on October 26th 2011 and so as thing I mean if the Cardinals lose in game six nobody's saying a damn thing about it but then the next day you have the freeze thing and then then you have the game seven win and um, and that in the column gained, um, you know, some traction, which is thrilling. So I, is it so? Just so happens, I DM'd this to Skip Schumacher on October. I'm gonna pull this up because I'm pull him up on Facebook. Um, but before the game, um, now uh, the, the story doesn't go. And Skip read it, and then he liked it so much he gave it David Freeze. It'd be lovely if that were the case. that's not it. He never responded, and that's 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 that's, that's the reality. Uh, but yeah, I sent it on October 26th, 2011 at 10, 17 PM. So I think damn near 24 hours <laughs> out from, uh, freezes. Uh, I always, I mean, listen, the home run was great. Don't get me wrong, but the triple was down your last strike. Holy shit. Um, so anyway, how is this tie into the athletic? I want the athletic to do well. I want the athletic to do well. I love writing. When I read that column last night, uh, I thought, "God, I really do love writing. If I could just write, and if I could just do the show, as in TMA and the podcast, I'd be that's that's ideal. That's all I want to do. The problem is in my my world, my business is that at any moment, it, you know, somebody comes in. and I'm not mad about it. It's the nature of the beast. Just like anybody else's business, it's just a little more so in this one. Um. That things change and people make cuts, and you know you, you, it's just not the way that it is. You get to do this and have it not be uh, as sim- have it be as simple as you just get to do the show and you just get to, to write and, and you know that's just not the way it is. I digress. You ask me about the athletic. I enjoy the content. I don't go out of my way to read it at all. I maybe visit it once every couple months. I pay what I, I don't even know. 299, who knows? I have no idea. it's so immaterial. Uh, I can't believe people actually complain about it for those who do, uh, not that you're doing this, but like, I'm not going to pay for content. It's like, okay, I mean, it's 299, but all right. And then, um, I don't know about the business model. Like I said, I personally wouldn't buy stock in it if it were a stock that I had the option to buy into, but I hope it works. So there's my answer. All right. I haven't even looked at the TMA fan page with all of my, with all of my, uh, babbling from emails and I'm an hour 35 in. Wow, wow, wow. All right, let me see if there's anything on here that that uh, that gets me going. You know James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency is my insurance agent. So this is a first-hand endorsement of James Carlton and his staff in Webster Groves. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. I think a lot of people just go, "Okay, well I've got a guy." got a lady. I'm good. I don't really care to talk about insurance. It's something, you know, I'm 25, whatever. And that's fine. I understand. I used to think the same way. And then I go down to my basement on March 30th of 2019 and the basement's flooded and the world changes. It just so happens because my interactions with James had been been so positive that my wife and I switched to James Carlton, uh, in late 2018. And I'm telling you, if we had not the odyssey that has been a flooded basement throughout all of this precipitation in St. Louis would have been infinitely more difficult to navigate without somebody as active. And on top of it is James Carlton. His phone number is 314-961-4800, or you can go online at carltoninsurance.net. And even now he still checks in, you know, I mean, it's, it's just a different ball game. And even before we had that, which of course was a substantial issue, um, you know, we weren't covered on, on something or I've forgotten to make a payment. It wasn't like, it was like some monster payment. It was a small payment. He's like, Hey, just so you know, uh, you haven't made this payment. we want to make sure that's taken care of. So you're covered. It's just, it's, it's just different. It's different in a much better way. And that's why, you know, if, if you ran into me at a, at a bar or restaurant and said, Hey, you know, and I have had it happen. Hey, Tim, who's that insurance agent? People email me and I go, oh, it's James Carlton here. Let me include him on the on the email. And I know he's going to be on top of it. I don't think twice about it. It's not like I'm like, Oh yeah, let me tell you about him. And then somebody actually wants to follow up. And I'm like, Oh God, I hope he does. Okay. The best, the absolute best. And you're talking about your biggest investments. So you want to make sure they're taken care of properly. James Carlton and his staff at Carlton state farm insurance agency will certainly do that. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton state farm. Let's see what we got here. All right. Uh, Would Gary Pinkle listen if Missouri called to come back? Uh, Quick one on that one, no. Uh, Let's see. Uh, What did you want to be when you were younger? Are you literally living the dream, so to speak? Uh, That's that's a good question. Um, What I wanted to be, and I still believe um, if I were given the opportunity, which I know I never will get, Uh, I wanted to be the Cardinal play-by-play guy. Uh, Growing up, you think about radio, because when I was growing up, like maybe 40 games a year were on TV. So you thought about being the next Jack Buck, like God, what, 10,000 other St. Louisans in my age range did. Um, So that's why I went to journalism school, which was completely misguided. I'm not talking about like I were laughing about the career choice, I'm talking about the University of Missouri Journalism School is not there to train play-by-play broadcasters at all. I don't know if any school is at Missouri, maybe communications. So I made the mistake of going into journalism, which then led me into local television, which I had zero interest in, zero. And as it turns out, I have zero interest in it now, but that's what kind of got everything going. But um, I suppose, and I I do remember saying this, because I caddied in 1998 at Old Warson. It's as close as I came to manual labor in my life, carrying two bags. Um, and I wasn't even really much of a golfer at all, especially considering like the caliber of golfer that a lot of those guys were who were caddies there, and obviously the caliber of players that a lot of the members were. God, I can't believe I did that. Jeez. Wow. I probably only did like 10 loops, by the way, so I don't want to overstate it. But... Um, I remember thinking, I remember I caddied one time for Joe Buck and that was the first time I think we had ever met. And, um, I remember seeing him roll up in his nice car and, um, and just thought to myself, God, he's playing golf during the day. And then he goes down to the ballpark and calls games at nights. That's it. That's what I want. That's exactly what I want. It's exactly what I want. And, at, and by the way, 21 years later, I would take it now. I would take it now. Um, and I don't even know what it pays, to be honest with you. Um, th- so, it, you know, I just, I, I, that's, you know. I think for th- the way I am, however, and well, first off, we're, we're talking about, it's like, yeah, and what would you do if you were president? These things aren't happening, so let's just, let me get that. But I do, whereas with president, I don't really believe that that's a job that I can necessarily execute uh, I do believe you put me in front of a microphone right now to call a Cardinal game, and I think I could do it. I'd not doubt my mind, um, and that I have very limited play-by-play in my background. But I also know that the Cardinals have an image, and as we were speaking of earlier, I probably wouldn't fit with that image. But as far as somebody who uh, has lived and died with the organization and has an odd memory about things that have happened '82 and on since 1982 and on, I'm pretty comfortable with uh, with where I am on that. And I think some of the people who I was around, I think, uh, have been kind enough to to say that, although I think they're kind of saying it in a way of your knowledge of us playing baseball is weird and we're uncomfortable with it, but I guess it's a good thing that you have that ability. So it's a compliment, but kind of in a, like, you're a freak boy. Um, so I guess, you know, in that sense, that's the only thing that I would say— because um, the, the dream wasn't to do sports talk radio or whatever this is. This isn't really sports talk radio. We didn't know what a podcast was in 98. Um, but I certainly didn't want to be like a sports anchor, and I happened to do that for a while, but I didn't really enjoy it. It just kind of was with the, the career path my education put me on. But then it opened up the doors to do this stuff. But I didn't know that this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to do play-by-play. Play. But as things have played out, um i mean you know I, as i said i was on the phone a couple of weeks ago with a uh, i probably shouldn't call him a kid because he's in his early 20s but uh you know he asked me some questions he's in broadcasting now and i and i always say this anytime anybody asks whether it be email or we get on the phone or we meet and i say you have to understand for as much as we're as in like me and doug and the cat or we joke about our careers we're lottery ticket winners, mathematically speaking, I'm not talking about financially, I'm talking about mathematically speaking with how many people want to do this when you're in your teens and early 20s and then how many people are still doing it when they're in their 40s and and being able to like receive a paycheck to do it, you know because uh, there are plenty of people I guess, who kind of do whatever are around. But I'm talking about like, you know, we're a lottery ticket. And then when you take it to, you know, with with TMA, and however, you know, I'd like to think even people who hate our show would acknowledge, like, yeah, I hate that fucking show, or I hate Tim, or I hate Doug's politics, or whatever you want to say. Um, but go, yeah, I know they have a following, and it's a popular show. That that so you get to do this, and then you're not just doing it, but then you then you get to do it, and you have fun, and you you know those thi- they're just they're all such they're math they're they're so mathematic like I'm why I thought about this but I mean it just hit me like I'm at, I'm at the Kirkwood Farmer's Market with Jameson yesterday I feel like we live there I love it though um, but we're there quite a bit and yesterday was a beautiful Sunday afternoon and me and Anna Marie up there and he's bouncing around he's in that corn thing and, and he's bouncing around They're all there's just like kids like, they're, like they're, just, they're everywhere and I'm thinking to myself god they're all these kids and they're all probably from within you know a, a mile or two of where we are and look at how many kids there are and they all within 20 years are going to pursue some kind of dream hopefully and you know and what are the chances that they're going to be able to to get that i hope of course that they do but you know there's going to be some adversity along the way and and it just it, for whatever reason it just drives home how lucky you know I, i'll speak for myself but i think i think you know you put the cat in Doug on a lie detector, how lucky we are that we've gotten to do this because there's so many people who still want to do it or who did want to do it. And then eventually go, okay, I can't, it's not happening. And they might be way more talented than any of us, but they, you know, it wasn't happening. You just need breaks. Timing so important in this thing. I remember when I got the job at KMOV and Steve Savard, you know, cause I think they were kind of like, oh my God, we're going to hire a 23 year old. But they couldn't say that. But I think internally they're like, who what we need somebody in here? And you're going to hire a 23 year old who's in Little Rock what are we doing? You know, and I remember Steve saying, you know, all it takes is one news director to like your tape and that's it. You can, you know, and that, and that's the truth, but God, you need that one. And so I'm just always grateful for the opportunity, which is why I do get on the phone or email or text with people who ask for advice. And then, cause you know, Frank Cusimano did that for me. Joe Buck did that for me. And I always, well, you can't, how can you ever forget that? Um, So, you know, what has been, um, if you would want to use the term, accomplished um, is not my sole doing. I know the running joke is my dad, of course, gets me all my jobs. But the real answer is, you know, people helped along the way. A lot of people. I mean, Rich Gould, you know, I know we joke about Rich, but, you know, how amusing he is, but he was helpful. Malcolm Briggs, I remember asking Malcolm Briggs questions when I was like an intern. Bob Ramsey um You know, just it's it's all you know. A lot of people on the way, the producers of this show, the interns of this show. It's and it sounds like it's like an accepting an award thing. But I mean, it, it you just you can't help when you think about it. Like if so, so, if somebody, your question is, if somebody would have told me this is what I'd have twenty years ago, would I have taken it? The answer is absolutely. I mean, holy shit. But the other side of it is you couldn't have told me, like you could have written out the shit we would go through to keep it going, to get it going and to keep it going. And I don't think it's kind of like what I was talking about parenting. Um, And I'm not trying to compare the two in case anybody's hypersensitive about that. But uh, that I could, until you live it, you can't possibly understand it. So I could tell people, I guess I could tell people and people go, oh my fucking God, on, you know, all this stuff that's going on. Um, but unless you actually are in the trenches on it, you wouldn't believe it. But yeah, I mean, and we were saying that in 2007, I remember saying, God, we could write a book about this. And then somebody said, yeah, nobody'd ever believe it. That was 2007. Now I got 12 more years of this shit of people who never believe it. You know? Um, I mean, I guess you got a little taste of the man and woman to get an idea of what it's like, but it's not like that's the only thing. So, um, th- that's, that's, that's something that stands out to me. Um, but, yes, to answer your question, I suppose so. The, the only other way it could be is if I'm calling Cardinal Baseball. Cardinal Baseball, that, by the way, that's it. I didn't have any interest in anything else, not an interest in take your pick of other franchises or other sports. Cardinal Baseball, that's what it was all about. All right, I've gone an hour and 45 minutes. Enough's enough, even though I can keep going. Uh, as always, thank you to our sponsors, thehomelonexpert.com, Johnny Landau, Chevrolet, James Carlton, State Farm Insurance, Design Air Heating and Cooling, and Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Thank you to our producers, Gangster Pete and Iggy. I'm Tim McKernan. This has been another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're gonna pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes from running to cycling to yoga.